0: Thank you, Pastor Thomas. (sighs) Okay. Hi, everybody. Hello. It's so good to see all your faces here this morning. I have, my name is Andrew. If you have not met yet, I get to lead this church location here. And I have a bit of a strange question for you this morning. When was the last time that you got a haircut? Thursday. Wow. Wow. Just shout, I want to hear. Yesterday? Can anybody beat yesterday? <laughs> I was just playing around. I know it's a bit of a rich question coming from me. Um, some, so, somebody got their haircut this morning. That's amazing. I, I, think, I think there's some liars over there. I'm not sure. Uh, it's a bit rich coming from me, and some of you maybe wish that I would take, take some of your all page out of your playbook and get my own haircut. And to be honest with you, I'm getting closer. Um, <laughs> but it's an interesting phenomenon, right? You take a look in the mirror. It doesn't happen, like, overnight. You're not like, oh, my gosh, I need a haircut. But, like, over time, you you sort of been like, man, looking a little shaggy, a little bedraggled, maybe. You start to say, oh, you know, the bad hair days start to pile up. You're like, I think I need to go make an appointment with the hairdresser, with the barber, and then when you go, don't, don't we all do this? We go, like, you get to the parking lot and you, you, know, you kind of pull out your phone you start Googling, right? You're like, men's short hairstyles, straight hair, women's curly bangs, you know, like, I, we, we just, and, and then we sit in the chair and we go to the barber, the hairstyle, we say, this is what I want to look like, right? And it's like a, like a celebrity or like some model. <laughs> Half the, I, I wonder what the barbers think, think about. They're like, like, this haircut's not going to make you look like Channing Tatum. Like, I don't know what you're, Um, and we actually have a barber in our church, Alex. He's actually downstairs volunteering, and I wanted to ask him if I was, like, if that was something that just I do or if that's, like, a thing, and he said, like, 99% of the people that come to see him to get their haircut, like, do that, and they're like, this is what I want to look like, and that's, that's essentially what we're doing with this sermon series, that we've been in through the month of January. We call Church in the Mirror. And as a community and as individuals, we're taking a really long look in the mirror and we're not looking at our appearance, we're not looking at our hair, but we're, we're looking deeper sort of to our souls, to, to what's inside. And, and in the same way that we would look and see like, oh man, I'm not looking at like, you know, the Channing Tatum is starting to disappear. We go to get, get that appointment, the same way we start to look at our souls, man, there's a gap. There's a gap between where I want to be and where I am. And so, you know, what we've been doing through this series is trying to figure out how, how do we start to go about closing that gap. And so last week, we talked about prayer. And if, if that's something that you feel like, you know, you, you have a gap in your life and you, you, get, you didn't get to see that or be a part of that message, it's online. You can go back and check it. it I hope It's helpful. Uh, to, to start to figure out how to close that gap. This week, we are talking about drumroll, money. Oh, <laughs> no raucous applause for, for money. No, I, I I get that this can be a touchy t- touchy subject, a little uncomfortable. Before any of you decide that you want to check out for the rest of the Sunday and start daydreaming or, you know, Googling men's hairstyles, I just want to say two things. And if you still want to check out after that, I can't stop you. But the first thing is, Jesus, like the guy that we base our entire lives around, spent like the majority of his time when he was teaching people, talking about money. Like over 50% of what Jesus teaches when he's teaching is on this subject of like money and wealth and possessions and how do we handle that as Christians? And I, the reason he does that is because Jesus knows that the relationship that we have with money has a huge impact on the state of our souls. That if, if that relationship our relationship with money starts to kind of get twisted and, and turn sour, it can have huge repercussions on, on what happens internally in our hearts. And so I'm bringing it up today, for not, not because I want your money, not because we're trying to like make a budget here at the church, but I'm bringing it up for the same reason that Jesus brings it up, because I love you and I care about your hearts. The second thing that I wanna say before we jump in is that I have been in... Really deep prayer over this message uh, this weekend. I, Friday is my sort of day to write sermons, and I wrote the sermon. We, you know, put it together, and then over the course of the weekend, I was really start, I just had this unsettled feeling in my spirit. And uh, so I got here to the building long before the sun rose, while you were all still tucked in bed and was just really deeply in prayer about what is it that God really wants to say to us. And I ended up scrapping that entire sermon. And uh, what you will hear is what I felt like God was bringing to me over the course of this morning. Uh, And I hope that that is helpful. And I'm not 100% sure that I have like the sermon, but I am 100% sure that no matter what your relationship is with money, where you're at today, God loves you, and he is inviting you to take a step of faith and of freedom this morning. So we're going to start by sharing what we believe about money, what we believe about how this plays a role in our life. And then, just like we did last week, we're going to look at some uh, results from our survey. So this is the statement that we have when it comes to money uh, it's, it goes like this. God is generous to us, so we live beneath our means to give beyond our limits. I'm going to say that again. I want, you to, I want you to read it with me, okay? God is generous to us, so we live beneath our means to give beyond our limits. That's what we believe as a church, that's what we believe as a community. If you place membership here, you're sort of like throwing your hat in the ring and saying, "This is, I believe this. This is, this is my, you know, my statement as well. And I, for me personally, it's very helpful to commit these to memory because it just allows the spirit to sort of bring them back and bring them back in, in times where they are helpful and relevant. So that's what we believe. And then here are some survey results. So if you remember in October, as a church community, we took a a survey with like 80 something, like a huge survey on all these different areas of church health to kind of gauge, sort of look in the mirror and say, where are the gaps? Where do we need to grow? Where are the things sort of off base? And so here are some of the results as it relates to giving and money. The first question was just about how much have you supported Mount Hope by giving in the last year. And if you look the, it's a little small to see, but the orange bar is us here in Belmont, and the blue bar is our other church community in Burlington. And you can see there, uh, first of all, this is, this is amazing news, by the way. 80%, over 80% of us have participated in financially giving to the mission in the community uh, or the, the kingdom building work of Mount Hope over this past year, 80%. And nearly half of us are giving at least a tithe, a tithe, if you're not familiar with that word, that is giving 10% of your income, giving at least a tithe or more. That's amazing, amazing news. So can we celebrate that for a second? That's, that is so awesome. We are living this out. We are living this belief out. Here's the second question. It's about how well we are invited to give as an act of worship. And what you can see, again, some similar results. Very, very high. Uh, about 80% are responding, yeah, we are regularly invited to do this. We are, re- we are connecting the idea of worship in giving. Maybe some of you might feel like it's getting connected a little too much. There wasn't wasn't an option to respond in that way. Uh, The the next question I want to show you, I've got two more, is how well do we as a church get instruction? Like how well do you feel like you're being equipped to live out generosity and live out giving in your personal life and your personal finances? And we see here some also some strong results, but things are starting to skew a little bit. We're starting to see the gap. about one in four of us feel like we could really benefit from some more instruction. And the last question, this was, this was sort of the overall question. So the last question, and this one has more interesting results as well. Overall, how effective are we at living out stewardship and generosity in our church? The thing that I find really interesting about this one is that last bar right there, the, the DK, which in my head is Donkey Kong, but uh, it stands for don't know. 18% of us here in Belmont responded that, actually, I'm not really sure. And, and you know, there could be a couple of reasons for that, but it seems like there's a gap here that we feel at least a little bit like, we're not entirely sure what it looks like to live this out. We're not entirely sure for like my personal finances, what does it look like for me to live out generosity in the, the way that we described in that statement that we read together. And so for the rest of our time, that's what I'm hoping that we can get into. As we look at God's word, to get a picture of what does it look like? Like what's the, the, you know, the photo that we're gonna show the barber to say, this is how I wanna look. This is what I want the shape of my soul to be. And so if you have a Bible with you, I'm gonna invite you to open up to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. And as you do that, I'll say that, I think, I don't know if money is unique in this way, but when we think about how we're supposed to handle it, I feel like my mind, maybe this is just me, but my mind usually jumps to like the the verses that tell you what not to do, that what, what you're not supposed to do. And we've got all kinds of those examples of how not to handle your finances. But I think what we're gonna get into here in Philippians chapter two is like the best the best example of how we should live and how we should view our finances. And hopefully that can sort of sink into our hearts and help us move in that direction. So this is, this is what it says in Philippians chapter two. We're gonna start right there in verse one. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness And compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ. Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Oh, I lost my spot. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death On a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together for a second. Jesus, I thank you for living a life that we can imitate, for setting an example for us that in all things and in all circumstances, if we were to take your attitude and apply it to that situation, Lord, what would result uh, is, is, is righteousness, is your will. And so, Lord, as we get into your word and unpack this passage God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, so often when, when finances come up, we, we, we build walls inside of, our, inside of our hearts. We sort of start to retreat inside and, and, and block out anything that might try and enter. Lord, may we open the door to you today. As you knock on the door of our hearts, may we open the door to you today to hear what you have to say, to hear your invitation into greater freedom. And into a deeper faith. God, I pray in this time that you would become great, that I would become less, that you would become great, and I would become less. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what I see Paul saying here, if we're going to stick with this metaphor, is, is to the Philippian church, so they were saying, hey, your souls are looking a little shaggy. You look like you could use a, a spiritual haircut. I know the best barber in town. His name is Jesus, but he's, he, the, the great thing about these verses is he says, when you sit in the chair, when you make that appointment, you get to Jesus and you sit in the chair to, get, to have him do that work, don't go Googling and finding a picture. Just turn around and say, I wanna look just like you. I want my heart and my soul to look just like you. And then let him go about his work. To me, that means three things. As I was praying over this passage and really trying to see what is it that God is saying to us this morning, what does it mean for our, the shape of our souls to look like Jesus in this regard? I think it means three things, and I find them all here in this passage. The first thing, as we close the gap when it comes to generosity, what we're going to find is that we are humble and others-focused. We're humble and others-focused. This, this is really the, the first part of Paul's passage in chapter 2. He says, look, if you have, like, if, if following Christ has given you any blessing, right? Like, if you have comfort from his love, tenderness and compassion, like, 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 join together and do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. He's saying, look, if we, if we get into the chair, like, what God is going to do, he's going to humble you, and he's going to make you focus less on yourself and more on other people around you. When I think about that, I, my mind immediately goes to Acts, to, the, to, to where the church first began. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, who was one of Jesus' apostles, it, it, well, all of the apostles are sort of praying together in this room, and the Holy Spirit falls on them in this really powerful profound way and they start just like speaking messages, speaking in languages they never even studied. And Peter, like a crowd starts to gather like, what's going on here? And Peter preaches this sermon and a a church forms. The people, it says the people were cut to the heart and a church starts to form. And what we read in Acts is that a few things started to happen. A few things characterized that church. This is what we read in Acts chapter 2, starting in 44, it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as they had need. So the the church, like, immediately, upon, upon, you know, sort of receiving God's spirit upon understanding the message and accepting the gospel, they start they start humbling themselves. They start saying, Man, what do you need? What can I do for you? Anything that I have, like I will sell my phone so I can help you meet your needs. That's so countercultural to the world that we live in here in, in this century and in this country finances are, are, are we, we're, we're trained, even from as little kids, to like, don't tell people, to like, to keep your salary a secret, and to sort of, you know, if you're having problems, like, don't, don't let people know that. Like, you, you know, you got to keep up the, the, the standard of living, the facade of how, you know, I'm, yeah, I've got a good job, life's good, and all of that. It's a very, very different lifestyle to what church started out as. A couple of chapters later, as the church is continuing to grow, they, we read this in Acts chapter 4. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. They shared everything they had. It is a radical lifestyle, but it's the one that, like, as we go on this process, if you're committed to following Jesus and, and, and growing into his image, which what, that's, that's part of what it means to be a Christian, like this process should be happening in your life, that you should be getting humbler, that you should, be, you should be starting to pay attention more to the needs of other people around you. And I think if we're gonna really live into this as a community, we need to, we need to first, we need to stop hiding from each other and we need to stop holding back from each other. We need to stop hiding our needs. We need to stop hiding like that, you know, the fact that, that we're, you know, wrestling to pay the bills or that, you know, we're, we're really worried about when the car is gonna give up because we don't know what we're gonna do after that. Like we need to start being open with each other. Like nobody, like how, how can we meet needs as a community if we don't even know what's going on in each other's lives? I don't, I don't think that that's possible. So we need, to, we need to stop hiding from each other. And if you're here and you have needs, like you, you do all of us a disservice by hiding them from us, including yourself. So we need to stop hiding from each other and we need to stop holding back from each other. That, that when needs arise, we are quick to jump in. And this, the, that community living, that others focused type of life, it works when everyone is on board. It works when everyone's committed. Things like God's provision happens. It's amazing. Like, if, if it seems to me that like God just multiplies stuff when we do it together. I think about times in our community in the past of our community where generosity just multiplied and like a car appeared for a person who needed a car. It's amazing but we need to keep doing that. We need to keep leaning into that. And maybe you don't have, you know, a hundred dollars to put towards a need, but you can forego something. You can forego a cup of coffee and put $5 in. That's, that's the kind of community. It's like, man, it's not my money. It's our money. What, how, what do you think would change if all of us went, took that attitude that like, hey, none of our salaries are really ours, our, 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 our own, but they're ours like together. That would be crazy. <laughs> I think that's the as as radical as it sounds I think that's the direction that Jesus is leading us. The second thing that I think it means for us to look for our souls to look like Jesus as we grow in this way is that we don't grasp comfort. We don't try and get our hands around it and hold on to it really tightly. Paul says that we should have the same attitude as Jesus, who made himself nothing, who considered equality with God. Think about, like, the wealth that comes along with that. Uh, Not something to be grasped, something to sort of, like, kind of do this with. Equality with God, and he's calling me to do something else, and okay, I'm I'm making myself nothing. I'm going to take the form of a servant, As we grow in this way and as our souls start to take that shape, we start to open our hands around the comforts in our life. It doesn't mean we get rid of them all and we live, you know, destitute lives. Scripture also says that God is a good father who gives good gifts to his children. God doesn't want you to like, I don't think God wants you to live a life that is completely devoid of comfort. But I think if you start to close your hands around those things, your relationship with money is gonna twist and it's gonna put distance between you and God. And so as we grow, our our hands should be more open when it comes to our comforts. I think about what Jesus says in Luke chapter nine, before before you put this verse up on the screen, this came out of the Bible reading plan. We're in, we're in the Luke right now. Is anybody reading Luke right now because of the community Bible reading plan? That, if you don't have one, here, I'm gonna pull it out. This is what it looks like. There are a whole bunch of copies in the Connect Center. We handed them out last week. There are, there are plenty more. We're just reading the Bible together. And I have to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm still catching up. So I'm like a few days behind, but I read Luke nine last week and God just really spoke to me in this verse. So this is what, this is what Jesus says in Luke chapter nine. It's, then he said to them all, this is Jesus, if anyone would come after me, if you wanna be my follower, Jesus says they must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. It doesn't say daily in there, but it says it in the Bible. I just typed it in wrong. Take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very soul? Paul says, when Jesus came to this earth, he turned his pockets inside out. He he emptied himself. He He got rid of it all, and he invites you and me to follow him by carrying our cross and like crosses are not that big. They are huge. And you cannot carry a cross if you have other things in your hand. If you're worried about that, that new car payment, you're gonna have a hard time carrying the cross. It's gonna be harder. If you added that fourth streaming service, it's gonna be harder for you to carry the cross. Planning that vacation, to europe or wherever it's going to be harder for you to carry that cross i'm not against cars and s- entertainment and vacations <laughs> a couple weeks ago rosemary and i planned a vacation but if we're if we've got our hands closed around these things we're, we're never going to grow in the ways uh in, in our souls to look more like jesus And he invites us to open our hands, to let that stuff go and to trust God that he's gonna take care of us, that things are gonna turn out okay. There's a great quote by C.S. Lewis that I come back to a lot when it comes to the question of how much should I be giving? How much should I give? And C.S. Lewis, I can't say it any better than this. So um, let's read it together. Or I'll read it. You don't have to say it out loud. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say that they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. What he's saying there at the end is there ought to be comforts that we could afford, but we don't because we have been called to be generous and to give our money to God's kingdom and the mission of, uh, of what he's doing. Has anyone ever been to a nation that struggles with a very high poverty rate? Can you put your hand up if you've ever been somewhere like that? Have you found it to be the case that lots of th- like those people who have no comforts, or almost no comforts at all, or like blow us out of the water in terms of joy, in terms of like satisfaction and happiness in life. Does anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Put your hand up. Comfort, we, somebody, somebody fed us this lie and we started to believe it. Comfort does not equal joy. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to, and it's, I know how hard it is, but stuff. All of these comforts in life, they do not equal joy. If we just go and see, I, I used to, when I was uh, in, in high school and in college, I would travel to Honduras to do mission work. Uh, and, and we would build houses and, and, and do medical brigades and food brigades. And, and I would translate, um, you know, for sometimes we would go and share the gospel with people. We would just go evangelizing. And the, the, the amount of times that, like, little kids, would spend their limpira, that's the, the Honduran currency, to like buy a bottle of Coke to give to me. And, and like, because they were just so happy that they just, they didn't have anything, but they wanted to share. Like it blew my mind to think about how much we have and how, you know, often we, we feel like we can't share anything. I, I don't want you to feel like I'm, like I'm saying this to you and not to myself. Like, I, I feel so convicted over this, uh, especially just even as I've been praying through this passage. So we, if, if we grow to look more like Jesus in our souls, the first thing was we're humble and others focused. The second thing is we don't grasp comfort. The third thing is that we embrace discomfort as a canvas for God's glory. We recognize that if we let go of comfort, there will be places and times and seasons of our life that will be uncomfortable. And we can know that ahead of time and decide to make those spaces and seasons a canvas for God's glory. That it's not just something that you have to like grit your teeth and get through until, until you can go back to the land of, of plenty. But even in that place, God can be glorified and lifted up. This is what Paul says in this passage that as Jesus being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and was obedient. A big part of this is obedience, and he became obedient even to death on a cross, and because of that, God exalted him, and it, like, he, he got lifted up to the highest place, and that every tongue on earth and under the earth and in heaven would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you were to read through the entire book of Philippians— like the joy just kind of like drips off the pages as Paul writes this book. Paul is just overflowing with joy. We read about it in this passage that he says make my joy complete. Paul, do you know that Paul is writing this letter sitting in a jail cell? Paul is Paul is an imprisoned man and he will never again in his earthly life be free. He goes from prison to prison to house arrest to execution. But he's just, he's, he's got so much joy. And even from that place of discomfort, the first century jails are not like our jails. They don't provide you like food. They don't provide you medicine. If you're gonna get that stuff, it's because somebody else brought it to you from outside. Paul's going stretches being hungry. He's going stretches being cold. And he's using this time to glorify God. He writes some of his best letters and most impactful uh, words of scripture to churches from that place. This concept, this concept has a name in the workout world. This sort of embracing the discomfort for, you know, to to create something greater. In the workout world, it's called progressive overload. And I don't know, we've got some personal trainers here or anything like that, but I, I know there are some. So forgive me if I totally butcher what this actually means. But essentially how it works is we lift weights that are just sort of on the edge of what we're capable of doing, and it overloads our muscles to the point where they start to like, in really tiny ways, they start to rip and tear. You think about curling that dumbbell, the the bicep starts to tear apart and rip apart. And then what you do is you rest for a little while, and your body starts to, to recover and it builds back like stronger tissue to like reconnect the tears. So next time it doesn't tear as much. So you progressively overload more. So you add a little bit more, you curl five more pounds. And over time, like the muscle just grows and grows. And then you get like gigantic, we're back to Channing Tatum. Like <laughs> that's, that's how it works in the workout world. Over time, you lift heavier and heavier weight, and it's the same way in our spiritual life. In Romans 5, Paul talks about rejoicing in suffering, celebrating when life really, really stinks, when it's really, really hard. Because he says, like, it starts to do this stuff. Start- there's progressive overload. It, the suffering stretches our souls till we get sort of these little rips and then God comes in and he does his work and he, he starts to stitch us together and we're stronger and better and our souls start to look more and more like him. In Romans 5, he says that at least, well, well, let me just read it. I don't have to paraphrase it. I don't think I have these on the slide. Yeah, I don't have these on the slides, but let me hear This is what he says. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And so when it comes to money, like discomfort and suffering maybe are in two different places, but they're on the same road, that we we take a step of something that's uncomfortable. I'm going to forego my weekly coffee. I'm going to stop eating out this month. Like, we, we, we're gonna rein in the expenses, live beneath our means, like we actually say we believe. And it's gonna be uncomfortable, but we're gonna move along this path where now God's producing perseverance in my heart. He's producing character in my heart, and I'm starting to be filled with more and more hope. And, and you know what? I think I can do with even less. I think I can get rid of that thing. I think I can get rid of that thing. If somebody needs clothes, they can come and raid my closet. Like, I don't need all this stuff. And we start to go farther and farther along. It's progressive overload. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up and I'm gonna very quickly try and answer the question, how? If that's the picture of what we're sort of changing into, people who are humble and others focused, who let go of comfort and, and embrace discomfort, if that's the people we're turning into, how does that happen? That's why I, I really liked this idea of a, of a barber because If you were to try and cut your own hair, like that would be a disaster. I know it because I used to do it in college. (laughs) It was horrible. Rosemary can tell you, really bad. But what we do is we sit down in the chair and we do what the barber says, right? Barber says, hey, turn your head to the side a little bit, you know, kind of keep your chin up, whatever. Whatever the barber says, we do that. And it's the barber who cuts the hair. And so when we talk about generosity, we talk about giving. The invitation that Paul gives us is to make an appointment with Jesus, to sit in the chair and to turn around and say, I want my soul to look like yours. I want to be generous like you. I want, I want to, to sort of have my character and my heart look like you. He's gonna say, all right, put your head up. He's gonna say, loosen up your grip on this comfort. He's going to say, when you get to that season of discomfort, I want you to decide ahead of time what you're going to do in that season to bring me glory and then do it. And I want you to, to start thinking about other people more. We don't do the change. We sit in the chair and we listen to the barber and he does that change in us over time. So hopefully you got an index card when you came in. Can you hold that up? Did you get an index card when you came in? Yeah, perfect. If you didn't get one, you can use the connect card there in the seat in front of you. Um, I'm gonna invite you to respond this morning in one, in one of two ways. And, and either way it's gonna be, I want you to write it on the card. Okay, and what we're gonna do is old school style. We're gonna pass some buckets around and you can drop your card in the bucket. If you feel like God is calling you in your heart to actually give money, you can, you can drop money in the bucket. I, you know, I know that we're not really a cash society anymore. So that like, I don't wanna put pressure on anybody to do that. But if God's leading you in that way, don't say no to him. But this is, this is what I want you to write on the cards. I want you to answer one of these two questions. What need is God calling you to share? Have you been hiding from your brothers and sisters in this community? Have you been trying to put on a face uh, so that everyone will think things are going well for you when they're really not? If you have a need, I want you to write that down and I want you to put it in the bucket. If if you are feeling courageous and the Holy Spirit is, is stirring in your heart, I want you to write your name on it. You don't have to but if you feel like God's moving you in that way, I want you to put your name on it as well. Or if, you, if, if that second question is something that God is calling you to answer, and this is really something between you and the Lord right now, but we're moving in a more communal direction. What comfort is God calling you to give up? Maybe just temporarily, maybe forever, but what comfort is God calling you to let go of so that you can actually use that money and Give it to the kingdom work that he, is, that he is doing here at Mount Hope. Maybe it's a, a one coffee a week, like sort of like, you know, you can think about it like Lent. But what, what is God calling you to give up something? Maybe to sell something. I'm going to invite um, Emmanuel to just play for a minute before we go into our last worship song to... Uh, to give you some space to just sort of think about how you wanna answer that question. And then uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna pass the buckets around and, and then we'll go into our, into our closing time of worship. This is our opportunity to grow. Are you gonna sit in the seat and listen to the barber and l- watch your soul take shape? Let me pray and then we'll, we'll have some time to do this. Dear God, I hope, I hope you're glorified. I hope that was clear. I hope that the, the heart comes through, God, that, that, man, I just love these people. I want to see them become more like you. Like that's what we're about here at our church, that we will grow in our knowledge and love of you and lead others to do the same. God, I pray that we wouldn't let this opportunity pass us by. That if, if you're leading us and stirring in our hearts to give up something so that we could look more like you, so that your kingdom could grow and your glory could, could fill the earth, God, would you provide the faith that's required? Would you provide the, the strength? That's required to make that initial decision, and then just be with us every step of the process. And God, I pray for those of us in our community who have needs, who feel like it's not a safe place to share them. God, would you forgive us as a community for not, uh, for not welcoming that kind of conversation? And Lord, would you? be gracious to us to to be able to share and receive those needs, to cover them with prayer and to jump together as a community at how we can start to meet them. I thank you and I praise you for the ways that you've done that for us in the past when people have had the courage to step up. And I pray that those things would start to happen more and more often. And for all of us, God, would you give us the faith which you start to build our souls more and more so that we could live beneath our means and give beyond our limits? It's not, about, it's not about making budgets, but it's about your glory. It's about your kingdom. Like this all comes back to who you are and what you're doing in our lives and through us. So, all of this, all, all of however we respond, Jesus, is a worship to you, it's a praise to you. I pray that you are glorified through it. We pray this in your perfect name. Amen. Give you guys just a minute to fill those out, and then I'm going to invite the ushers to come and.